Um, it's great to be back here this morning as we continue through the book of Acts, uh, chapter 10. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about making a way, making a way from Acts chapter 10. Let me pray for us and we'll get going here. King Jesus, Lord, um, what a privilege, God, to just to know you and to be known by you. Lord, just thank you for um, the gift of life, God. Thank you for my son, uh, Jude, Lord, and we pray that he would live before you as a man of God, a man of faith, a man of love, of courage and conviction and obedience and holiness. And God, we pray for all of our children, all of our little ones, God, that they might live before you, God, in, in faith and love and obedience. Lord, and that you would help us, God, to raise them in your fear and instruction, God, to make your name known throughout the world. And Lord, as we gather again today as your people, as the local body of Hillside Baptist Church, God, what a privilege to be part of this church family. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to hear what you would have to say to us, because you are good, and your steadfast love endures forever. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 10. We're going to continue through the book of Acts this morning, uh, picking up where we left off from last time. Uh, over the past few times, we have learned the story of a young man named Saul who was miraculously converted, as every conversion is, uh, on the road to Damascus. And we also saw the challenges that he faced um, as he was transformed from a persecutor to a proclaimer of the way. And then last time we were in the book of Acts, we saw how Peter continued to um, travel around Israel doing signs and healings that Jesus Christ was still at work in the world as he is today through his people and through the hands of the apostle Peter. Uh, and, and they saw more and more people come into the kingdom of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, we remember how Acts chapter, or Acts 1-8 serves as the kind of the, the outline of the entire book of Acts. And he said, Jesus told them that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And part of that, the main purpose of that spiritual power was that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we have seen the gospel take Jerusalem by storm. We have seen the gospel uh, enter into Samaria and um, the Samaritans received Christ and received the Holy Spirit through the hands of the apostles. And so now we're left with this, with this final part of this command promise that the gospel must now go to the ends of the earth. And so while that may seem quite natural to us, if you've thought carefully and read the New Testament, especially uh, carefully, uh, and the Old Testament for that matter, you would, you'd be... Uh, you would think that that poses a problem because how could a faithful Jew do that because it was extremely difficult, nigh impossible, for a Jew to fellowship uh, with non-Jews and how can you win someone to Christ if you can't fellowship with them? Uh, and God knew that this would be a very vexing question for the, the church, um, all of whom in the earliest stages were Jews. And so this was a, a problem that has a divine answer, an answer that God has already planned out in a divine encounter that Peter would have 
with a Roman centurion named Cornelius. And, and in all this, we're going to see that God is making a way, not just for Jews, but for everybody to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we talk about making a way from Acts chapter 10. If you're able and willing, let me invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to read uh, Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being lit down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. Um, this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men uh, who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who is called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. For I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one who you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. 
Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. The word of God. You may be seated. Okay. So, we're going to look at this very important passage under three headings this morning. Number one, preparing the heart. Number two, demolishing the wall. And then number three, uniting the divided. Preparing the heart, demolishing the wall, and uniting the divided. So first we're going to talk about preparing the heart. And we see this, we're introduced in this story to a man named Cornelius. Okay, and we're given um, a plethora of details about this man uh, that begin to clue us in about what is going on and what's going to happen. First, Cornelius lives in Caesarea. Okay, Caesarea uh, is on the Mediterranean coast, and it was the Roman capital of that region. So, obviously, Jerusalem was the religious capital of Israel, but Israel at that time was a Roman uh, province, and so Caesarea is actually the Roman capital of the Roman headquarters of that region, and so it was an important city that was predominantly Gentile in nature with a majority of Jews, with a minority of Jews uh, living there. And so we learn that the man, this man was a centurion, which means he was an officer in the Roman army, and he was in charge of roughly 100 soldiers. And this meant that he was most likely a Roman citizen, which was a coveted position at that time because Rome had a vast empire, but actually relatively few of those within the Roman Empire were actually granted the privilege of Roman citizenship. And it also means that he was probably a man of some, some means, of some wealth, okay, because uh, he, he was able to give alms quite generously to the people. And so these little practical details um, for about uh, Cornelius' life are important to us because they help us understand the more important details about Cornelius' spiritual situation, okay? Because we are told that Cornelius was a devout man who feared God along with all of his household, right? And I think Luke wants us to, to read that with a note of surprise because he is a Roman. He is a, he is a pagan, okay? He's a Roman pagan. He was a soldier which would have put him in close proximity uh, with the emperor cult in Rome, okay? And so, yet somehow, along the way, Cornelius, while working in the Jewish region, came to see and to understand and to believe that the God of the Jews is the one true God. And so he came to fear God and to honor God. Uh, The fear of God there is just the Old Testament way of saying that he revered God and honored him, that he had genuine faith in the one true God. And this is evidenced uh, by his actions, that as one whom God has blessed, he saw it as his duty to bless others. And he gave generously to the poor, which was, of course, very important part of the Jewish faith as it is to the Christian faith. And so, basically, uh, he, he's displaying all these very positive religious qualities. It also says that he was a man of prayer, that he prayed to God continually, which possibly means that he kept the regular Jewish prayer times. The Jews prayed uh, three times a day. <coughs> In fact, it says there that the angel came to him at the ninth hour, which would have roughly been 3 p.m., which was one of the appointed Jewish prayer times. So he was probably praying when he had the vision of the angel. 
And so, uh, as one commentator said, um, he, was, he was basically as Jewish as possible without actually being a Jew. And so, it was very fitting that God uses this man to kind of be the first Gentile, the first non-Jew to be brought to the people of God because it, it kind of eased the Jewish people into accepting the fact that a non-Jew could be part of the one people of God. And so Cornelius, despite not being a Jew, he must have reasoned correctly that if he did everything that he could to serve the one true God, somehow or other God would honor him despite the fact that he was a Gentile. And that, of course, is correct because in Romans chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 26, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, he said, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. That means that true Judaism, as Paul would call it, was always about the heart, right? True Judaism was always about the heart. Jesus repeatedly condemned the Pharisees because they were as Jewish as Jewish could be, and he said they were condemned to hell because their religion was merely external, but they didn't have any inner transformation of the heart. And that's why um, Moses talked about how they were, they were about circumcision of the heart. You remember when Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was killed. It was because after his speech to the Sanhedrin, he, he told them, he had the, the gall to tell them that they always resist the Holy Spirit because they were uncircumcised in ears and in heart, right? So re- Christianity is a heart religion. It's not a, first about what we do, but it's about the internal renewal of, a, of the human heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, so Cornelius had about everything he needed. He only lacked one thing, and that was lack of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And God made sure, God saw to that, that he would hear about Jesus through the vision of sending Peter. And so one point of practical application for us that I think that we can learn from Cornelius is like him, let's draw near to God. In your individual life and in our life as a church, Let's draw near to God. Let's pursue God in prayer. Let's fear God, as as it said about Cornelius, he and his household. Let's fear God in our families. Let's meet the needs of those around us. Let's put ourselves, when we do that, we're putting ourselves well. We're putting ourselves directly in the path of the grace of God. Right? You see that? Cornelius, through his faithfulness, even though he wasn't a Jew, right? And and he, he wasn't circumcised. And to a Jew, no matter what you did, that meant you were outside of the bounds of God's people. But God was going to show that with his heart being right, he put himself in the right position to be ready for God to lavish his grace upon him. And so I think that's the lesson there, that we must have a heart ready for the next great thing that God wants to do. We must be prepared. You see, Cornelius what, didn't start to pray that day thinking, I'm going to have a vision of an angel. But guess what? He would have never had one if he didn't start praying. So if we position ourselves, if we walk in holiness, if we pursue God, you know, then, then we, might, we might not have a vision every single time, but we definitely won't if we don't pursue God. But when we put ourselves in the path of God's grace, 
will be ready for the next great thing that God wants to do in your life and in our church. Because here's the thing, we can have just as much God as we want. We are only limited by how much we want in God. And so let's get ready. Let's prepare the heart for the next great thing God wants to do. Number one, preparing the heart. (coughs) Number two, demolishing the wall. Demolishing the wall. So in this next part, right, the scene shifts back to Peter. Okay, so we have this the scene of Cornelius, and he sees the vision, and so he sends uh, these people, including a, 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 a Roman soldier, uh, to Joppa, as the angel told him, to send for Peter. Now, the scene shifts to, to, to Peter, who uh, is at the house of Simon the Tanner in Joppa by the sea, so it's a, it's a little bit lower down on the, on the Isra- Israeli coast, and we find Peter on Simon's housetop, now, homes in those days had flat roofs, and uh, they typically had a, an external s- stair up along the side of the house where you could go to the top of the roof, and, and roof often uh, had awnings on them, and it wasn't an uncommon place to go, you know, if you wanted some privacy or to be alone, or it wasn't an uncommon place to even go and pray, okay? So Peter went up there at the sixth hour, which would have been around noon, and it, there's a little detail there that is interesting, <clears throat> It says that he is hungry. Okay, that, that'll become important a little bit later. So he's hungry, he's praying, and as he's praying, again, praying and then something happens, right? He enters into a trance. Now, the Greek word for trance is, for, is where we get our English word ecstasy, and it means being caught up outside of one's self. And so he, he enters into this trance, and in this vision, he sees the heavens open up, okay? It's a pretty big vision. The heavens open up, and he sees this thing like a great sheet descending from heaven, and it's being held kind of by the four corners. So you can imagine the four corners being held up, and it just, just drooping in the middle because it's, it's full of something, but he doesn't know what it is yet. So the sheet's descending from heaven, and it's just like sagging with the weight of what's being held in the middle, and he doesn't know what it is until it lands on the ground and the, the corners fall down, and all of a sudden he sees that the sheet is full of animals, all kinds of, of animals. It, it liter- the, the, the word for animals literally is, is quadruped. It's, it's four-footed animals, creatures, reptiles, and all kinds of birds. And in fact, the, the language there is... Um, is reminiscent of, of Genesis chapter 1, the creation account where it says God made the animals and the creeping things and all kinds of, uh, uh, of, of the birds of the air and all these things, be fruitful, multiply, and all that. It, it, it's it's uh, reminiscent language of that, and I think that's, I think that's Im- important. And so, so Peter sees all these animals that would have included both clean and unclean animals. And, and so, of course, he is greatly perplexed, to say the least, when he hears a command from heaven. That says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, if you are a hunter, rise, kill and eat might be your favorite verse in the Bible. It might be your life verse. Uh, But for Peter, uh, it was not his life verse because this was very problematic to him as a Jew. Okay? He he literally, now, again, I just think it's hard for us to imagine, like, how taboo this would have been. I mean, like, the the thought of eating unclean food would have like probably literally have been revolting to him because he literally had trained himself his entire life to never eat anything unclean as an act of obedience 
to God. The Jews to this very day have very strict dietary laws. If you ever get a chance to visit Israel and Lord willing, by God's grace, he would bring peace to Jerusalem and to that, that, that place. And, and I hope one day you get a chance to go. But if you go to Jerusalem, everywhere you go, you will only be able to eat kosher food because that's all they have there. All right? Because that they have very strict dietary laws. Okay? And so uh, they, they were not... Uh, and so like to this day, right, you can find food in the grocery store that says kosher on it because it, it, it can neither contain anything unclean and it even has to be prepared in a proper way to guarantee that it is unclean because they don't even want to risk the chance of becoming uh, contaminated by the food. And so we, he, we, we see now the significance of that little detail where it says that Peter was hungry. I think it includes that detail because it tells us that even though Peter was, was really hungry, it, it tells us how strongly he held to his Jewish scruples there that even though he was very hungry he would not eat unclean food the thought of it made him lose his appetite okay it it tells us how seriously he took and every jew took this command about unclean food so so three times he sees this vision three times peter says no way i'm not touching that food and three times god says from heaven what God has made clean. Do not call common. Okay? And then after all that, he comes out of the trance, and it says there that he's perplexed. He doesn't, he doesn't understand what this means and what's going on here. But then, at the very moment that he comes out of this trance, the messengers from Cornelius arrive, uh, and the Holy Spirit tells him, to go down to them and to go with them without distinction or without hesitation. And so what's going on here? Well, again, it's easy for us to miss, but these series of events in the book of Acts is nothing short of of paradigm shifting for the Jewish and for the Christian faith, right? Peter is the leader, basically, of the early Christian movement, And God basically gave Peter a vision telling him to basically break thousands of years of Jewish law. That's that's kind of a big deal. All right? That's kind of a big deal. The point isn't that the dietary laws were bad. Uh, They couldn't be because God's the one who gave them. But the point is that the dietary laws served their purpose for a season, and they now could be set aside. Because if you go back in the Old Testament and you look at the point of the dietary laws, the main point of the dietary laws was to keep the Jews separate from the people in order to identify the Jewish nation as God's holy people. In God's plan and in God's providence, he chose the Jewish nation to be his holy and redeemed people. Holy literally means to be separate, to be set apart. And so the Jewish people had to be separate from the nations And a big part of that, that God did that, is because in order to keep them from falling into the idolatry of the nations that were around them. Because if you've read the Old Testament, you know that every time the Jewish people started intermingling with the nations around them, they inevitably fell into idolatry. And so the laws were to keep them separate and to protect them (coughs) spiritually from the nations around them. Okay? And so... uh, in, in the ancient times, right, 
and in many and it's, it's similar today, right? To eat, to eat with someone was a sign of acceptance, right? That's why they can, that's why the Jewish leaders uh, blasted Jesus because they said what? You eat with sinners and tax collectors, right? Because they, they took that as a sign of acceptance, right? So to not be able to eat with someone uh, was the basic sign of saying, you know, you're not, you're not part of us. You're not, you're not with us, right? And so that the dietary laws clearly really separated the Jews from everybody else. Jews would have a very hard time sharing a table with a non-Jew. And God is essentially revealing to Peter that after thousands of years of Jewish law, the times are changing. That is not a small deal. That is a massive deal. Because now that Christ has come, what makes people holy to God is not what they eat, but who they trust in. This is paradigm changing. This is earth shattering. If you were a Jew, you would have just as hard time as Peter understanding this. It just didn't make, it just didn't make any sense. The Jews were God's people. To be God's people, you had to be Jewish. Now, you could convert to Judaism if you were a grown man. That wasn't a pleasant experience, right? But you could convert to Judaism and, and then become a Jew. <coughs> but to be able to be part of God's people apart from being Jewish would have been blasphemy. It would have been unheard of, right? But what makes people holy to God, what Christ has revealed, is not what they eat but who they trust in. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, unclean foods are now clean. And not just that, the food is a pointer to what? That formerly unclean people are now no longer to be considered unclean, right? The language of animals, as we said, was a nod to the creation account, right? And if you go back to the creation account, God's the one who created all the kinds of animals, including the ceremonially unclean animals, right? God created them all. And when God created everything, what did it say at the end of creation? It said God looked over everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So the unclean animals were actually created good. They were just considered unclean for a season as an accommodation for sin and separation of the Jewish people. <coughs> but now that Christ has come, but now that Christ has come, what's, what's he doing? God is bringing things back full circle to what? To the original creation design. They were originally created good, and now that Christ has come to deal with sin, all right, then he's taking, he's taking that sin-caused barrier away, and so now all foods are clean, and of course, by implication, all people are clean as well. <clears throat> this fact is so important that the whole vision repeats three times as God's way of emphasizing to Peter that this is the real deal, and there's no going back. God, through Christ, has made clean. He has made all things new, and what God has called clean, do not call common. And so Peter hasn't obviously fully grasped all of this yet, but it's starting to come together as the Gentiles show up to the door. And it says there that the Holy Spirit told him at that moment to go with them without hesitation, or I think a better translation would be without distinction or without judging. In other words, don't, don't not go with them just because they're Gentiles, because of the vision I have just showed you, right? That what God has called clean, do not call common. And so even though the, the, the dietary laws divi divided Jew and Gentile, here's the truth, that all in Christ are clean and all in Christ are made new. All in Christ are clean and all in Christ has made new. God is demolishing the wall that divided Jew and Gentile. And I just want to say, like, in days like ours where there just seems to be everything is hyper 
polarized, there's uh, hyper-politically polarized, and all that, and we just think there's just so much division in the world. And there is, but here's the truth. There's nothing new under the sun, and let me tell you something. The differences that we face today pale in comparison to the difference between a Jew and a Gentile. And if God can, can, can unite Jew and Gentile, he can deal with our problems too. He can heal our divisions. He can heal the brokenness that we've set up amongst ourselves by making us all clean through Jesus Christ and all new through Jesus Christ and all one through Jesus Christ. God has torn down the walls that separate us through the blood of Christ and what God has torn down, don't try to build back up. Don't try to build it back up. So God is preparing the heart, number one. Number two, he's demolishing the wall. And then finally, number three, he's uniting the divided. He's uniting the divided. He, the Holy Spirit told him to go down without distinction, okay, without hesitation, without judging them, the fact that they're Gentiles and Jews aren't supposed to do that. He said, no, you go with them because this is from me. And so he went with them, and he follows the men back up the coastline to Caesarea, and when they arrive, they find Cornelius, and, you know, uh, Cornelius had sent them a, a couple days before, and he was ready, right? He, this angel had told him, that, uh, that when, when Peter shows up, he's got a message to, to tell them. And so he did what we all should do and what we all should learn from, and that is, hey, this man's got a message, so you know what? I want everybody I know and love and care about to hear what this man's got to say. So, he, so when Peter shows up, there's a house full of people there, his friends, his family, his acquaintances. He's invited everybody to come up to hear what Peter has to say. And when Peter arrives... Cornelius sees him, and it says that it, he fell down and worshipped Peter. Now, the, the word could just mean that he prostrated himself, but probably given everything that's happened with the visions and everything, he probably thinks Peter at this point is some kind of divine man. But Peter is quick to point out that, hey, he's just a human being like everybody else. And in fact, he's a rather perplexed human being because he's just had this vision that's just causing him to rethink everything, and he doesn't know what to think. And these guys showed up asking him to come. And so now he's in, a, he's in a Gentile's house, which he's never done before. And he doesn't even know why he's there. Okay? <coughs> but one thing that is clear, one thing that is obvious, is that God is the one who prompted it all. God gave Cornelius the vision, all right, to do that. And then God gave Peter the vision. And then, then the, the guys showed up from Cornelius right at the time that, that Peter came out of his vision. All right? So clearly, God is the one who's orchestrating this. God is the one who's planning these events. All right? So clearly, God has a purpose in all of this. It made me think, as I was reading this, it made me think of a TV show uh, maybe some of you have heard of before called Person of Interest. And, uh, and on the TV show, it's about this guy creates this artificial intelligence, this kind of like supercomputer that, that has access to all the internet, all the security cameras, everybody's smartphone, and so it literally knows everything about you, right? So, and, but, uh, it's a long story, but basically the way it plays out is he wants to help people. He doesn't have direct access to this computer, so he builds himself a back door into this machine, and the machine kicks out uh, people who are in danger, it kicks out their, secure, their social security number, and that's all they know. And, and what the machine does is it's able to orchestrate events in people's life. Thank you, brother. It's able to orchestrate events in people's life so that it gets the different people who, who can help in this situation. It gets them there at the right place at the right time, but they have to figure out why they're there. 
The machine got them there, but they don't know why they're there. And so they're having to figure out how to help and how to deal with the situation because something's going on that they're not, they're not aware of. It was, it's kind of like this story, right? <clears throat> uh, Peter had, Cornelius was told to get this man there, but he doesn't know what he's going to say. God told Peter to go to this man's house, but he doesn't know why he's going. God, God is the only one who knows all the strings, that, all the things that he's been pulling, but it's not until they all get there that they figure out what's going on. All they knew and all they needed to know was that God was the one who orchestrated it. And so we learn now that the part of the, uh, the vision that Cornelius had was that Peter had a message that God wanted Cornelius and his family to hear, the message of Jesus Christ. And so again, just to remind us, I think, of how important this account is, because I think it's easy to forget. If you, even in the passage that we just read today, verses 1 through 33, Cornelius' vision is repeated totally three times. Three times. Uh, the vision uh, that Peter had, it, he saw it in the vision three times, and then the uh, account of that vision is repeated in the book of Acts at least three times. Okay? So what's the point? Why, why all the repetition? Why all the focus on this? Because, again, because I don't think we grasp just how big of a deal that it was for the Jewish church to think that people who were non-Jews could be saved. And so God has to tell them over and over, and he has to make it emphatically clear so they don't misunderstand. And again, if you read the book of Acts, and you read the book of Romans, and you read the book of Galatians, you'll know that the greatest controversy in the early church is how is it that somebody could be saved apart from becoming a Jew? And the biblical answer is through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't, I don't think there's any ethnic Jews in here, so uh, thank God for that. Because <laughs> that's the only way we're saved. We are Cornelius in this story, right? God is what? He's uniting the divided. That's what he's doing, right? He's breaking down the walls. He's uniting the divided. Because what? Because he's taking people from Cornelius. He's taking people from the Roman Empire. He's taking people from North America, South America, Asia, Europe, Africa. He's taking people of all cultures, of all colors, of all creeds, right, At, to this very day, right? God is saving people all over the world. We will worship forever in eternity with people who, like right now, we, we, humanly speaking, we have nothing in common with them. But we have Jesus Christ, and that's all that matters. And we will worship him forever as one people, citizens, friends, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ through the blood of Jesus Christ, because it's not the blood, it's not the blood that runs through your veins that matters, it's, it's the blood of Christ washing over you that matters. <coughs> when, when the Jews were saved in the Passover, right, they had to take the blood of the lamb and put it on their doorpost, and God would pass over them in judgment. That is salvation, right? It didn't matter, it didn't matter how strong or weak their faith was. All they had to do was trust God and come under the blood. And so no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, if you trust God and come under the blood of Christ, then you can become part of the family of God. It's not rocket science. It's not complicated. It's, it's not, it, you can become part of the one family of God, of people of, of every tribe, every nation, every tongue. We're all going to be there. Made one through the blood of Jesus. We shouldn't be surprised that this is important to God, Right? God made all people. God created all people. Every human being 
is made in his image. Yes, he had his plan for the Jews for a season, but that plan was culminated in Christ so that now that Christ has come, God is, God is extending his kingdom and his salvation to all peoples, all tribes, all nations, all tongues, because he wants us to be one for him. And we know this because Jesus prayed on the night before his crucifixion. One of the most important prayers in the Bible, the high priestly prayer, John 17, this is what Jesus prayed, verse 20. He said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you. That's me. That what? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for me. Jesus prayed for us, what? That we would be one. That what? When the world sees the unity of the church, this is so important, that when people come under the blood of Christ, everything else should pale in comparison. So that when people who share the blood of Jesus, we should be able to be unified in a way that makes no sense to the world. Why do you love them? Why do you hang out with them? They don't look like you. They don't act like you. They don't talk like you. Why do you get along so well? Why do you have them over? And why do you hang out? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. Well, you can just tell them. Because we're both saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. They're my brother. I'm going to spend eternity with them. Why not start hanging out now? And the world will know that we belong to Jesus by our unity, by our love for one another. Because why? Because one day we're going to do what? Because God's going to answer Jesus' prayer. I know that. We're going to see his glory together. That's what we're headed towards. And I'm pretty excited about it. And I hope you are too. And so as we close this morning, the, the, the final takeaway is this. There's people all out there. There's people all out at your workplace. There's people all out in this community. There's people across the world. And they might not even know it yet, but they're our brothers and sisters. And it's our responsibility to bring them into the fold, to bring them into the family, to say, you know what? Jesus Christ died for me. He died for the world. And he wants us to be one. He's broken down the wall. And so, yeah, you know, some people, you may not, you, there's some people, let's just be honest, there's some people we look at and we just feel like they may be further from the grace of God than this person over here. Let me tell you something. You don't know that. They might be right on the doorstep and just, just need to hear that knock of Jesus on the door and they'll answer. Because what? Because it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter what you look like. Jesus died to tear down the wall so that everybody could come to him.
Let's pray. <coughs> Father in heaven, Lord, all of us, I, I, think we can, I think I can say all of us at some point, we felt like an outsider. We felt like we had no place. We felt like we didn't fit in. But Lord, you made a way. You broke through the wall. You opened the door. And you, you pointed your finger <laughs> directly at us. And we, we looked around to make sure you weren't pointing at someone else. But no, you were pointing at us and said, I want you to follow me. And Lord, maybe there's someone in this room right now and maybe they've just been running from you. Maybe they've been living in some kind of sin. Lord, maybe they've just been uh, just, uh, just running from your presence. And Lord, maybe they haven't even realized that up, except up until this very moment that you've been running after them even as they've been running from you. And you're pointing the finger right at their heart and you're saying, I want you, I want you today to follow me. And Lord, I just pray that they would heed that call this morning and trust in you. And Lord, there's a world full of people out there so different from ourselves, but Lord, they're made in your image. They're made by you. And Lord, all it takes is that gospel message, that, mes that message, Lord, that you, you took all those pains, two different visions, all that orchestrating, so that what? Just so that Peter would show up to tell them about you. And so, Lord, let us not miss what you're orchestrating in our lives, Lord. The events, the circumstances that you're orchestrating just so that we could be in the right place to tell someone about you. Lord, we might not even know why we're there, but I pray when that moment comes, it would be obvious and that we would speak the words of life and that you would grant it. And so, Lord, let it be, we pray. Use us as instruments for your name's sake. And it's in Christ's name we pray.